Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to the 34. Right now at 6, a shocking recording of a speech allegedly made at the L.A. Police Academy. And now the LAPD confirms an investigation into the circumstances surrounding that recording. Now, part of the conversation was about shooting and killing off-duty officer Kevin Gaines. The shooting set off a series of events that eventually resulted in the LAPD's Rampart scandal back in 1997. The uh, newly revealed audio recording brings the scandal right back into the headlines. NBC Force Patrick Healy has been going over that recording. And Patrick, what have you found? Chuck and Kathy, other portions of the recording include disparaging remarks about LAPD commanders, disparaging remarks about individuals who are identified by their ethnicity. Now, the allegation is that these statements were made by an LAPD detective named Frank Liga, not in a private conversation, but before a room full of officers, including one who secretly recorded it. Street name Honey Oil. Veteran LAPD Detective Frank Liga interviewed about a drug case three months ago. LAPD Internal Affairs is now investigating the allegation. The voice you will hear on the following recording is also Detective Liga discussing his conversation with a lawyer about a fatal shooting. Is Carl Douglas hit me up? He says, he goes, did you intend to shoot him? I said, I hit him, didn't I? <laughs> it's asserted that the recording was made at the Los Angeles Police Academy last fall during a session at which Liga spoke to a room full of officers. And he leans forward again. He goes, you regret shooting him? I says, no, I regret that he's alone in the truck at the time. In 1997, while working undercover, Frank Liga had a confrontation with off-duty officer Kevin Gaines and shot and killed him. Liga told investigators he fired because Gaines had pointed a gun at him. I could have killed a whole truckload of them. <laughs> and would have been happily doing it. And for a police officer to say that he takes pleasure in killing anybody, no matter your ethnicity, is troubling. Retired LAPD Sergeant Cheryl Dorsey told us she first heard the recording posted on the Facebook page of a former LAPD officer, now department critic, Brian Bentley. We could not reach Bentley today. Journalist and community activist Jasmine Kanick told us Bentley provided her a copy obtained from an officer at that police academy session. No one in the black community ever believed that Kevin Gaines was an angry black man who was chasing after uh, Frank Liga. LAPD exonerated Liga in the Gaines shooting, but the city of LA paid a quarter million dollar settlement to the Gaines family. It was clear he felt he had been made a political pawn and was telling officers to protect themselves from being scapegoated. I'm not intimidated by command staff. And he didn't voice it to just one person in a private conversation. He felt comfortable enough to say it in a room full of whoever was in that room. Of late, Detective Laga has been assigned to a multi-agency drug task force. We reached out to try to contact him, but we're unable to reach him. We're going to stay on top of the story and have more on the NBC4 News this evening at 11. For now, reporting live from police headquarters downtown, Patrick Keeley, NBC4 News. Desiree Berg and today I'm very excited to have Alex Salazar here in the studio. Alex is a former LAPD police officer and he is now what we would call a lamplighter. He's uh, exposing truth on police tactics, problems with the code of silence and some of the recent issues we've seen within law enforcement. So welcome Alex. Hi Tina, I'm very happy to be here. Right on. So I first wanted to talk to you you had some sort of a, a come to Jesus moment where you realized the space that you were in within the LAPD. You were in the Rampart Division, I know, and the Rampart Division, for folks that don't know, this is a division that experienced a lot of scandal back in the mid-90s. They were embroiled with issues of racism. We had police officers that had been dealing drugs, addicted to narcotics, et cetera. So you went through that experience. But what was the moment when you realized this was not the position you wanted to be in and that you wanted to start exposing some of the things that were going on? Well, actually, Tina, it wasn't until about a year or so after I had left the department okay. because I was actually part of the problem. Okay, I had been brainwashed. I had been uh, placed into that subculture, uh, believing that I was one of the good guys and right. that I was doing the right thing. So about a year or so after uh, I left law enforcement, I began... Uh, looking on the computer, I had just gotten my, my tower uh, computer. Yes. You got mail, uh, you know, the whole AOL screeching, you know, that, that noise. And so one of the first things I punched into the computer was police stress. And mm. up came this uh, uh, PTSD, the, uh, 
what, what do they call it? Uh, the Post-traumatic stress. Right, post-traumatic yeah. stress yeah. disorder, right. Something similar to what the vets have. I right, right, the, the, the veterans, right. But, uh, you know, I uh, I had never heard about it before. I was going to the department of mm-hmm. psychologist, and basically he never told me not once, Alex, uh, you're having these problems because you're traumatized. There was no discussion on that or whatever, and I didn't feel like I had to tell him what was really going on through my mind. So after I punched in PTSD, the acronym, that's, that's what I was looking right, for. Right. Uh, after I punched in uh, police stress, up came this acronym PTSD, and that's when the light went off, when it began laying out the symptomology of hypervigilance, bad dreams, nervousness, acting out, all these addictions and all these things. And so it fit me to a T. And so at that moment, that was the aha right. moment, the light went off. And then I began looking at it as being responsible for the suicides of uh, several people that I had worked with, six uh, to be exact, uh, people wow. who took their lives because they were traumatized. Right, which makes sense. I wanted to ask you, you had a situation that you told me about where you were in you were in an off-duty moment, so you weren't actually working at that moment, but you encountered a woman that was being robbed by, I believe, some gang members, and you stepped in and you protected her and you ended up getting hit by a car. What was that like? Because I think you mentioned that this was like the impetus for having to toughen up and you know you got harassed by your fellow LAPD officers that were like, why didn't you just take those guys out? Why did you try to you know just apprehend them? Like walk us through that a little bit because I think that's an interesting sort of uh, bridgeway into where this you get into the psychology of why a lot of the LAPD officers think the way they think. Right. Well, it was 1991. It was approximately six months after uh, the Rodney King meeting. And that was the first viral video ever, uh, just to mention that. Right. And so here I was. It was on a Saturday uh, morning, give or take. And I was driving southbound on Broadway at 8th Street. And I look over to my right, and there's a street robbery going on. A young woman with her daughter uh, was being attacked by a young man, gangbanger type, who's reaching at her neck and trying to take off her chain, which which he did. And so I saw this happening, and I was supposed to go at a wedding that day with my then wife, and uh, just kind of entered my mind, but then as soon as the guy started running, I ended up following him, and I cut him off, I, I drove past him, I got out of my car, and as he's running past me, I kind of just snatched him, yeah. threw him against the wall, I identified myself as a police officer, uh, and uh, I told him he was under arrest. And so he began screaming at the top of his lungs, no hice nada, no hice nada, meaning I didn't do anything. I yeah. told him, look, I saw you rob this woman who's coming up yeah. to me right now. And, and she did, she came up and began telling me, and I told her that I'd uh, seen the robbery taking place. I told her to go call someone, call mm-hmm. the police, 911. And she left. And meanwhile, while I'm holding on to this guy, six other gangbangers come out. They start jeering at me. They start asking me, who are you? I told him, I'm the police, you know, get the heck out of here. And those type of words, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, get the and then I got pushed, and the guy that I'm holding on to that had stole the necklace that was robbing the woman yeah. took off running. So as I started chasing after him down the street on 8th and Broadway. And you had your service weapon on you at that moment? Yes, I had my okay. two-inch revolver, a snub nose revolver in my right front pants pocket. I, I chased after him. And then as I'm chasing after him, they start breaking the windows of my car, his buddies, who had remained behind. So I go back and I say, forget this guy now. These guys are wrecking my brand new car. And I start fighting with them in the middle of the street. And so at this point, I'm forced out into the street. Traffic is coming behind us. I have my gun pointed at them. Oh, so you had pulled your weapon I I pulled out my weapon at this point, and, and I'm yelling, police. The way they spot out, I'm going to shoot you in Spanish and English. I'm, I'm just yelling really loud. And that's when things really started to slow down uh, for me. I never experienced my life going in slow motion yeah. at that moment as I'm just wondering, what the hell am I doing here in the middle of the street, downtown Los Angeles, broad daylight with six gangbangers advancing on me. I, I'm supposed to be at a wedding there in about two hours, yeah. and, and it was pretty obvious I wasn't going to go anywhere at this point. So as I'm pointing my gun at them and they're coming at me, a car comes out of nowhere, runs me over, breaks my right ankle, <laughs> and uh, I, I go flying you know, over the hood. And when I land on the ground, I, I, I land on my back, my side, and I try to get up and I notice that my right ankle is now almost to my ear. 
And, and so I'm horrified, of course, and all I can say is, and repeat is shit, shit, shit. And, I'm, and, and I'm looking at these guys, break, still continuing to break the car windows. They stole my police uniforms, my badge, my wallet. I even That's had wild. another gun in there that, that was taken. And so I laid there for what seemed like eternity. And eventually I heard the sounds of, of the ambulances. I saw the helicopter up above and everybody and their mother arrived after that. And so it, it should have been a happy story. They tried to make me a hero and give me all these awards. They wanted to give me the Medal of Valor. I said, no, I don't want that. This is my job. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is what I signed right. up for. And so I was out of commission for about two months after that, two to three months. I uh, later returned to work after, after three months. I was on crutches and they had me doing inside work. But when I returned, I had my partners tell me, why don't you shoot the MFR? Why don't you kill him? And at that particular time, I, I didn't even think about that. I hadn't seen myself, well, I need to kill these guys yeah. even though they're kicking my ass. I didn't feel that necessary, that, right. that point, that anger to, to shoot them or that fear. I, I, I was scared, but I didn't feel like, you know, right. you know, I need to shoot them because they're kicking my ass. Yeah, I, yeah. I didn't see it like that yeah. at that moment. But all that changed, of course, when I had my partner second-guessing me, telling me, kill them, shoot them, why, why'd you get involved? I was thinking this could be my mom, it could be my, my, my wife, it could be my... Right. It could be anybody. They're still I human mean, beings. That, right. Yeah. That, that, and, and so that was my whole reason for getting involved. But afterwards, after I began thinking about it, I didn't realize at that time that I had already been traumatized. My, my brain, that was once whole, thinking normal, was now scrambled because... I almost began started drinking. Mm -hmm. I was having the nightmares. I was having all these these issues, and and even um, with with my wife, I was you know waking up screaming. And and uh, within about a year or so, year and a half, we were getting divorced. Wow. Yeah. So uh, I went that way for for several years. I I didn't realize at that time, like I said, that that I was severely traumatized. The following year, in 1992, we had the full blown LA riots. Right. And that only exasperated my, my PTSD, being involved in a situation where a very large city, it almost seemed like we were in, in wartime conditions yeah. with over 60 people dying, all the buildings, big buildings around right. my district on fire. I mean, all over the city, it, it was just very terrifying. And so I had more incidents there too. I could go on to describe them, but you can only well, imagine. Yeah, what let's we're talk about that a little bit because the LA riots, we're talking about 1992 now, those came out of the Rodney King beating, which you mentioned earlier. This was one of the first police beatings that we had on video where people were able to see. And those were all, my understanding, if I believe they were Rampart Division police officers, no, right? No, that was actually Foothill. Foothill Division, that's right. Okay, right, so. that was actually Foothill uh, Division, yes. So up the Tahunga area, Correct. La Crescenta up, okay, which is uh, interesting. We'll talk about that in a minute. Of course. <laughs> but uh, that was the first time people were really exposed to this idea that these police officers were beating this guy just for the sake of beating him. They had already apprehended him. He didn't pose a threat. He had no gun on him. Etc. They could have just chosen to handcuff him, but instead they were. So I think people seeing that for the first time was a giant, like, what's going on here, right? It's not something that had been seen prior to that. And the fact that those police officers were let go out of the Simi Valley courtroom kind of triggered this entire event. And it, it got very violent that night. I remember I was in college at the time. But I want to ask you... Um, so you, you're talking about this PTSD, and the, the police department isn't treating you guys for this, right? They're almost acting as if this is a weakness if you admit you have a problem, which I think is the opposite of what they should be doing. What are your thoughts on that? Well, absolutely. Uh, police officers are human beings. They're just like anyone else. We experience uh, fear. And we know that the bullets can, can kill us, but there's a culture out there that's a macho, misogynistic culture uh, that you don't show weakness, you don't show fear. And you know, you'll get officers that, that are saying, you know, you're a pussy, you can't handle it. They, they label these officers who are not heavy handed, who don't use excessive force. And, and so when you look back at 1992 that year when Daryl Gates said this is an aberration. <laughs> I, I had to look at look yeah. up the word aberration because I was like, well, what does that mean, aberration? <laughs> and, and basically what it means is it doesn't happen. And but you knew that was false. I knew that was false yeah. because 
you know, anybody that runs away from the police, they, they know what to expect at the termination of a right. pursuit. And, and so that was a flat out lie, of course. And, and I, I, I began to see certain things at that point, but I was still very loyal because mm -hmm. I wore the blue uniform. Right. I, I bled blue. You bled blue, which is, you know, that's, that's what you do um, when you're in that. See, I, I think people want, I want, what I want people to understand from what you're saying is that when you're in that environment daily on a basis, and you almost get a little bit brainwashed to the, these ideas that if I don't use excessive force, if I don't pull, shoot now, ask questions later, I'm a bad cop. My my friends are gonna make fun of me. They're gonna call me a pussy. Right. I mean, I, people need to understand that this environment is so toxic, and this toxic environment is, is one of the things if we're gonna change all of these problems is one of the things we're gonna have to address and look at. I'm. You had something that you mentioned to me called the super pig syndrome. Right. So I want you to walk me through what super pig syndrome is. It's sort of, it's an interesting. Well, the story that I always like to mention was when I was a probationer in Rampart and I had a Caucasian partner and we saw, you know, lots of immigrants there, mainly undocumented, right. as they say, illegal. And he pointed out a car. It was a, a family, Mexican family, dark skinned like me. And he said, look at them webbacks. I bet they don't have a license. So I didn't say anything. I just kind of stayed quiet because he had some time on and I was the rookie. And that's, see, that's shocking to me. He almost looks at you and doesn't even realize what he's saying is racist or in that it actually is offensive to you. I mean, that's how, that's how far gone some of these guys are. Yes, absolutely. Some of them are, are deliberately very racist, uh, and I'll go on and I'll talk a little bit more about that, okay. especially about the, the black uh, community. I'll get into that too. But he, he says, look at these webbacks. I bet you they don't have a, a license. Let's, let's, let's go take away their car, uh, essentially. Uh, and so what happened is he pulled them over and gets out the kids. There was about three kids, the wife and, and him. And, oh, and the kids start crying because yeah. they're scared. The man's just kind of with his head down. I'm translating for him. Do, do you have a license? And registration and of course he didn't have one at and that had time. he been doing any illegal driving of any sort no, he he just, so it was just the fact that he was Mexican this guy wanted to screw with him right he wanted to screw with him he wanted to teach me how to write a ticket and and how to deal with people and that was just the way that wow. he uh, did it and and so I began questioning the the male driver the, the father the husband yeah. here and he was just very ashamed. The wife was, was sad. She had a very angry look. And the kids are crying. And so it was at that moment when I, I learned, okay, this is why they call us pigs. I didn't really understand. Why, why they yeah, what does that pigs? come from? What, what does that come from? And, and so yeah. I woke up at that second right there, and, and I was like, man, this is pretty messed it's up. pretty it's fucked up, yeah. Pretty fucked up, yeah. And, and so I had another situation too, again, another Caucasian officer, and, and just being in that environment, we arrived at a residence there where it was reported by a neighbor as having suspicious activity. So we go inside, we start searching the house, we knocked on the door, of course, no one answered. And we went in, it just smelled very bad, very putrid, it, like feces, uh, urine, and as we're walking around in there, there's cockroaches scurrying all over the place, refried beans, and we went into a room and there was 20 uh, undocumented immigrants. It was a location, a, a stash house, and I was like, oh my gosh, and he was like, dirty Mexicans, you know? Yeah. And, and that, that's, where, that's where he came out with, my, my, my partner, you know, look at these dirty Mexicans, and so again, you know, I, I'm hearing this. Literally the same zero self-awareness. Yeah. Right. There, there, there's zero self-awareness, and and I'm quiet again. I have family in Mexico. I, I you know, I, I've been there. I, yeah. I know that these people are poor and that they're trying to come down here exactly. for, for a new life. And so I, I began seeing that early on, and I also witnessed other officers. Uh, some of them, people that I, I knew, I was very close to, who would talk about the black people in a very bad way. They, wow. they refer to them as fun people. And as what? Fun people. And, and That's I a new one on me. Right, well. What's the origins of that? Well, the origin, it's, it's another acronym, but okay. it stands for fucked up N-word, you know? So, I, I mean, wow. I'm not gonna say that here right now, but, but I mean, this is how. What, and that was, that was fairly common in the 90s? In the it, it was very common, yes, yes, it was, it was very common. So I, I saw the racism 
Yeah. I myself, at, at some point, I became a racist too. How, how that is possible. You know, a dark-skinned Mexican like me, Chicano. No, I believe it. I believe you know, it. And, and, and you become brainwashed. You, yeah. you want to be one of the guys. Okay, you don't want to be an oddball. You want to have backup. You want to be right. cool. You want to be macho. Accepted. Uh, accepted, all that. And and so that was kind of the insular subculture that, that we were involved it, in. It almost sounds like some of the tools a fascist government uses to control people. You know what I mean? Like some of the things that you're talking about, like seeing yourself, even though you're part of this other group, still being able to other them in order to get along in that environment, right, mm-hmm. to feel accepted. That's, right. that's very scary. And I don't think it's uncommon. I mean, we, we have a lot of Hispanic police officers, and I've often wondered at some of these protests when I see them, like, how is this, how is this like, a thing? Like, how is it that, that brown officers and black officers are in that environment doing what they're doing? And um, I did speak um, candidly with an LAPD officer that was uh, African-American, and he did mention to me that there was racism within the, the department, that he'd been targeted for racism. And I was like, then why are you still part of the systemic racist culture? And he kind of had a pause and he didn't really have an answer for me other than this is my job. So I guess, you know, I could see what you're saying. Like if you're in that environment, it's your job, you're doing it. Sometimes it's hard to step away out and, and look in from the outside at what's going on. That takes a, that takes a tremendous amount of will, I think, which well, is I, obviously something you were able to eventually do. Well, yes, but I was already gone. I, I wasn't in it. Oh, right. Okay. When, when you're in there, yeah. you have to play that game. Yeah. You you can't say, well, I'm not going to do this because then you get blackballed. Right. You won't have your partners backing you up like like the great Serpico. Okay, what happened to him? Frank, uh, yes, let's talk about Frank Serpico for a second. So for folks that don't know who Frank Serpico is, he's probably the original lamplighter. He was with the New York Police Department in 1970, 1971. He came out and talked about corruption that was going on and uh, court cases ensued. And obviously he was very much retaliated against for what he did. So he was very brave and I think, um, you know, still at it, right? You, you speak with Frank? Or? Yes, well, you know, through Twitter and, and I've spoken personally okay. uh, on the phone with him too before. He was before um, his time, right? <laughs> he was way before his time. I mean, the guy is amazing. You know, he's, there'll never be another person like right. him, I, I believe that. Especially at that time period, early 70s, corruption was everywhere. Graft oh, yeah. was a part of the NYPD. Everybody from top from to the, bottom. From yeah. the top to bottom, all the way up to the chief, the mayor, all these people that knew that this was a way of doing business. Right, right. And the same goes today with modern law enforcement, just like when Daryl Gates tried to hide the ass whipping that they gave Rodney King. Well, this is an aberration. This goes on. And, 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 and he so, knew it wasn't the exception to the rule. He knew it was the rule, yet... He also knew that if people thought that was the case, they would not, not continue to support the LAPD. So. Correct, correct. And, and, and that's the problem here is that, you know, we've made these police officers be like heroes. We worship right. them. And I think that's very misguided because yeah. they're human beings. They fuck up too. They make mistakes. Yeah. And we put them up there. So when they make mistakes, they're not counseled. Correctly, because right. they're supposed to be perfect, you know, or it's covered up, you right. know, whatever it is that they're doing. Right. And and so Frank exposed the elephant in the room. I mean, it was just a massive elephant. It, it's like tantamount to this whole Catholic Church scandal. Oh, absolutely, on, yeah. Where you had the popes, you had all these priests. Everybody knew mm-hmm. what was happening to these children, to to people who were killed all right. on behalf right. of religion. So you, you have these professions of being a priest being a cop where you know they're very heavily into the code of silence they're very much controlled by these insular subcultures where you don't say shit that's right and in fact let's talk about that something else you mentioned to me when i was speaking with you earlier is this insular what you call the insular code of silence culture right it's the culture right so let's talk a little bit about what breeds that and what maintains it and, and keeps it in check well, it's, it's just like anything else. Let's, let's say you have an abusive dad, maybe mm-hmm. touching the child or something like that. There's all these threats that are going on, you know, that no one's going to believe you. Everyone's going to turn against you. No one's going to have your back, and, and uh, you're going to be labeled eventually, you know, as a side case, as a nut case, which, yeah. which puts you in a potential situation to be fired, right. okay, right. which is what happened with five years ago, Christopher Dorner. Right. All right. Here, here's a black man. He was also a naval officer. 
He had his shit pretty much together. Yeah. But he reported a female officer, and then all of a sudden, he felt the full weight of law right. enforcement come down. Yeah. Thousands of officers all over right. the country. They hunted him down. They, they, they went yeah. and killed him in uh, Big Bear. And I can understand what he did, uh, you know, his anger. There's no excuse for, for, for killing, especially children, innocent civilians, and even police officers. But they drove this man to the edge, mm -hmm. okay, and he snapped. He snapped. And, and, and you have a lot of officers that do that. In many yeah. cases, they don't do what Christopher Dorner did. What they do is they eat their guns. Right. You know, they kill themselves. They commit suicide. They, they can no longer live with the shame and guilt. And I myself, I was like that at one time. I was very despondent, you know, when I left uh, LAPD because I was having all kinds of personal problems. After the riots, uh, about a year or two later, I went undercover. Uh, That's right, you were a narcotics officer, yes, too, right? Yes, yes, okay. I, I was out there buying drugs in, yeah. in South Central Los I Angeles. Mean, also, I would imagine in that culture when you're a narcotics, so the, the narcs, the narcs as we used to call them, mm -hmm. <laughs> I hope they still call them that, would go undercover inside the gang, so you would be, I would imagine even, at some point having to take drugs to prove that you're not a police officer. There's all kinds of yes. scary things, bad things that could happen to you. So now you're adding that to the PTSD. I can't. Right, and, and in South Central Los Angeles, it, yeah. Watts, Compton, right. all these very uh, high crime areas. So I, I had my incident where I got the shit beat on me, almost killed, had the LA riots, and, and in between all these other traumatic incidents, just from being a patrol officer, and then jumping uh, from the the fire into the frying pan, right? right. Uh, I guess quite that's literally. Some, quite literally. And did yes. your supervisor become addicted to heroin? Yes, well, I had a supervisor I mean, that was in charge of the unit, the the Harbor Squad. That uh, somehow during early in his career, when he was an undercover officer, he had to do uh, heroin, and he became a heroin so, addict. Yeah, this so yeah, this doesn't seem like the proper way to do law enforcement. You know what I'm saying? Well, what I'm getting at here. Well, especially you know when we're you're arresting. like literally turning the police into the criminals by doing this sort of thing. Right, right, and 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 so you you look at this situation. It's very, very egregious. So very, very bad because he was arrested for a misdemeanor, just your, stealing. Your supervisor was my supervisor. But here we were yeah. arresting countless. I'm, I'm saying probably thousands of people for felonies, for sales, absolutely, for and possession. for pot, not heroin. Right. Well, so no, here well, we have a double standard. Well, it, it, it was for all kinds of things. You okay. Know? But but. Basically, for heroin, for cocaine, meth, all that, th those are the serious felonies. A pot was a felony for sales, okay, okay, or for possessing possession for sales of a large quantity. You know, obviously, we would get people with with personal use, and that was right. the okay. the misdemeanor. That was my question, right? That, that, but but you know, here we were arresting people for the same things that he was doing. Right. So they were getting 25 years or whatever, and he gets a misdemeanor that has no no time attached at Absolutely. all. Because there's, yeah. That's yeah, correct. Yeah, I yeah. got what you're saying there. So now um, I wanted to talk a little bit about what's going on right now with the LA Sheriff's Department. I know different than the police department, but still a lot of the same, I would imagine, insular types of attitudes that are going on. So we recently have a another lamplighter coming out of the Compton area for the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department. And he is talking to us about how the fact there's a gang inside the L.A. Sheriff's Department. They're called the Executioners. They've been responsible for all kinds of things that he's been exposing. Um, and I watched the deposition from one of the officers that was involved with one of the shootings down there. And the lawyer asked this guy, do you have ill feelings towards African-Americans? And he's an, also a Hispanic officer. And in the video, you'll see the officer just sits there in absolute silence for at least 30 seconds. He's just... Do you have any ill feelings in general against African-Americans? doesn't answer the question so when I watched this I thought to myself one thing importantly that I thought was important that he's thinking okay 
I can't really lie now because I that would be perjury. I'm a police officer. I can't perjure myself. But if I answer this question honestly, I'm in I'm in big trouble. I mean, it tells me right there that this this guy's clearly thinks he's a racist. He knows he's a racist. He's serving in the sheriff's department. This to me is like this this is the crux of what we're facing right now with law enforcement. So, I'm um, Walk me through a little bit of what's going on in that guy's head, because I feel like you've been in those circumstances, and how we possibly can maybe fix some of this. And then I also would like to know, have your thoughts on the uh, Sheriff's Department and, and some of the gangs that they have going on. They're not just the executioners, but we have the Linwood Vikings, the Banditos, etc. Well, you know, I, I can't say for sure, certain to read into the officer's mind. I'll go based upon what I think, what, what you know, if they ask yeah. me. I did become a racist, okay? okay? So I would now, not then, of course, uh, answer that truthfully uh, because... You would have know, said you, yes? Uh, I, I, now I would, okay, okay, that I was back then. Yeah, okay? I see what you're saying, okay. But, you know, just being in those environments day in and day out and being with not just white officers, but black officers yeah. who are also racist, Latino officers, it becomes an us versus them mentality. We're the good guys, these are the bad guys, these ghetto people, these vital people mm. are, are shit. And, and that's generally the outlook of law enforcement. You know, look at these people, they're a bunch of dirty ass cockroaches. You know, and, that's really painful and, Or like my, my partner, you know, who says like, these dirty Mexicans. Yes. And, and here they are huddled up, these, these poor human beings. They're hungry, they've urinated that's, on themselves. Yeah, but they're, that's exactly right. Don't they understand that so much of this is related to poverty? Like, does that ever cross? I, I don't think it, it crosses uh, the mind. I, I don't think, that they don't talk about these things in the academy, you know, okay. to have better people skills or to have uh, training at roll call, for example, mm -hmm. to talk about, you know, let's learn how to talk about these people. Let's, let's learn how to work about our own internal racism because all that's normal. Yeah. It's normal behavior when you're in that system and you're an idealistic person like I was. I really thought I was gonna save the world, change things, arrest the bad guys. Right. I did not think I would become the bad guy. That's the puzzling uh, thing about the, the whole matter is, is that you, know, you change and yeah. you don't even see it. You don't even see it because you're, right. you're in it at you're, that you're, moment. You're in there and, and there's so much negativity, so much toxicity that it's very hard to prevent that racism. What I think would work is writing a 20-page essay, why I'm not a racist, yeah. why there we want to stop racism. A, a little dissertation would be good to... to Just even having really, a conversation. To, to, to talk about that, yeah, yeah because, you know, and, and then you know who's a racist, whether I ain't writing this fucking bullshit, you know, I ain't... It'll come right out. Yeah. I'm not gonna appease to, yeah. to, to these blacks or, or whatever, Mexicans, or, and I don't have to learn about their culture. This fun thing Right, I'm, I'm not going to... To go there and so right there you have your answer and, yeah. and so if we are if law enforcement is truly to grow to become better it's not about training nothing none of this is about tr it's a training okay issue. that's an interesting but they always point. try to make it a training issue they yeah alex even, being a wave a campaign on that dude, right that it's you, a problem with training well right and, and there's training but it's it's more of a cultural issue it's okay? cultural yeah because if you don't change it you're not going to get to the root of the problem okay and it's like, the, again, the, the church, the, the Catholic yeah. church. Uh, and I don't have nothing against the Catholic church. I was raised as a Catholic, okay? You know, because <laughs> some people are saying, you know, burn that dude. Or he has a demon in him or something, right? But no, it, it, it's a culture it's where culture. where it's gone on for the ages. You know, what, yeah. what's happening with law enforcement didn't just start. It's been no. going on. No, so, the, so is that connected to the gang situation then in your mind? Absolutely, it, it is. Because I was thinking that. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's there, uh, you know, the the police always want to say we're the baddest gang, okay? We're the baddest gang, we're the toughest gang. There's some truth can, to that. You know, right, <laughs> and, and if you saw the movie Training Day that was yeah. based uh, upon the Rampart District. I did I not realize at. that, okay. Yes, it was based upon the Rampart District. Yeah, these, these officers here are very, very racist. They're yeah. very angry. They're sociopaths. They're sociopaths. Okay? Right, and some of them actually want to kill people, okay? I worked with a partner, he had like about nine kills as a rookie, and the only thing time I would see a reaction out of him was when a 415 man with a gun call would come out, and then it was pedal to the metal. He wanted to be the first one to shoot someone. Yeah. And and so there's all these debilitating Wait, issues. Hey, hang on. Let's talk about that for a second. Okay. So that kind of a call means that the suspect is armed and he feels like gives him license to Disturbing just... Disturbing the peace. 
Oh, disturbing right. the peace. Disturbing the peace is a, the 415. Okay. And someone's out there with a the gun. It's kind of a generic thing. Someone's acting but like a fool with a gun. But he feels like that means I can just shoot when I get there at whatever this guy's Absolutely. doing. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. It, it's a license to kill because you brought a gun. Okay. And, so and what if there time, really isn't a gun? It's one of these ghost guns that they're talking about now. Well, you know, that that's always happened, you know, where the officers say he reached for his waistband or he clenched his How fist. often he, do they lie about that? Well, I, I saw it happening saw uh, it myself. Happening. I saw it happening. Uh, you know, I saw people getting killed, too. It was it was pretty gruesome. And in the end, it was all explained away. Yeah. Uh, my shootings that I had, I was walked through by the, shoot, uh, the officer-involved shooting team. They told me, okay, this is where you were standing. This is where you were at. So they're literally is... telling you what to say and do to get out of having a problem. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, you know, there's no reason for that. You just need to say the truth. This is what really happened. Well, but they don't want but you to tell the they truth. They don't because... want to. It's just like Daniel Prude over there yeah. in New York, Rochester. They, they hit it <laughs> as this police chief did. That's right. He was like, oh, shit, I'm going to be the next person on the news. Yeah. Not knowing, not thinking that this is going to be the next George Floyd incident that, that, that comes out. That's right. And so when we look back, when you were talking about the sheriffs and, and this very toxic environment of, of gang cops, a lot of them have joined because they want to be one of the guys. And they have the same hazing rituals as the gang members. They beat up yeah, the okay. police officers and right. deputies. Uh, crash, what used to be the... Chasing Inc. is one of the terms that... that uh, uh, I can't think of his name. The, the lamplighter from the sheriff's department. I think his name is also Alex, actually. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, but one of the things he talked about is is, is this idea of, of chasing ink. Uh, so if I beat up this guy, these, these hazing rituals that you're talking about, get a kill, I get this kind of tattoo. And they have these specific, specific tattoos that they're getting. That's right. And, and so it was actually Bob Olmsted, Bob. who was Bob. one of the uh, higher-ups that he came out against Lee Baca. That's right. And he was talking about this for the longest and no one listened to him. He was talking about the Linwood Vikings originally? The Linwood or? Vikings and... and the, well, there the, were others too, I guess. The, there, was, there was a lot. There yes. was a lot, there, okay. there were several of them. And, you know, I had personal conversations with, with Bob, especially when he was running for office uh, against McDonald. O'Donnell? McDonald. Yeah, O'Donnell. Nope. Yeah. The guy before Villanueva. Yeah, O'Donnell, yeah. right. <laughs> And, and, yeah. and, and yeah. you know, when I would listen to him speak during his campaign speeches, because I followed him around because I was very enthralled by his courage. Yeah. And just him coming forward and facing this, which led to the arrest of the nation. Paul Tanaka. Uh, Paul Tanaka, right. the uh, head of internal affairs. I mean, there yeah. was nothing good about that department. That's right. And so this is what Alex inherited. The okay. head of internal affairs. That's the head. Yeah, his last name was Kerry. That's right. That so I mean, that Kerry. tells you that tells you how corrupt to the core the system is. Right, and when you look at the sheriff's department, uh, it has been like that. It's yeah. the supervisors from LA County. They've known the mayor. They know. Everybody's known all this yeah. stuff. It's, it's just like the Catholic Church again. Everybody, Everybody knows, knows about and the molestations and, right. and all this madness, and so no one wanted Alex. When he ran for office, I'm sure you know this too. Yeah, no, I mean, I, win. He, I interviewed Alex when he was running for office, right. and he was he was campaigning on talking about the gang environment, in the sheriff's department, and and saying we need to reform it and all of those things. But he hasn't done any of that. Right, and and so what I do know because I still want to believe in Alex. Okay. You know, as crazy as it sounds, and people no, are going, you know mean, what, you're just a fucked up pig too, or whatever. <laughs> whoever's watching this. You know, but I saw him. He was very brave, okay? He was supporting Bob Olmsted. Yeah. And, and as a lowly lieutenant, you know, he stood up to these people, you know? So I admired that, you know, him and his wife. Yeah. And so what he inherited was a mafia-like department. He, okay. okay, yes. Where I, I agree with every that. month, every week, yeah. some shit is happening. He's probably going like this all the what time. Do I do oh, now? my yeah. God, what else is going on now? You know, the deputies being knuckleheads, taking picture of Kobe's. And, and his dead daughter's body parts, right. you know, the other people that died there. I mean, these these, these gangbanger cops, you know, beating yeah. each other up at the Compton station. It, yeah, okay. the, so... The, you know, he has really no control over this other than, you know, to put on a face that shows he's trying to do something. You know, he's trying to take leadership. Okay. But this this department is out of control. It's out of control. It's out of control, you know. Yeah. And, and so... 
I'm hoping that you know at some point in time he's going to change. What I do know too is that everybody was against Alex, so it's hard for him to work with people when they're telling him one thing, but he knows that they're really not for him. They they want to see him fail. They want okay? to see him fail. And and uh, okay. and and as far as you know this this whole thing coming up, they've known about it. Again, they've known about it. They've hidden it. They haven't dealt with it. You know, this was problem was way before Villanueva came into oh, office. Oh, now they were way. You yeah. know, and and so way before. Now with technology, all this is coming out. They can't hide anything. They can't hide anything. Uh, you no. have the whistleblowers coming out, That's right. and and so uh, it's a very precarious situation so for him. It is precarious. So let me ask you this: the problem I'm having with Alex now is this. I think that. He's not being honest about what's going on. So in light of what's happening in the Compton division with this whistleblower and blower coming out and talking about the executioner's gang, Alex's response has been to deny that the gang exists. And I don't believe that for a second. There's a history of gangs there within the sheriff's department. Like you said, it wasn't just the Linwood Vikings, it was many of them. And when we talk about these gangs, it's not just that they're beating up on brown and black people and being racist. They are definitely doing that. But they're also involved in many types of criminal activities, right? So they're they're literally criminals with badges, and they get a one-up on the criminals they're supposed to be policing, and they're engaging in some of the same types of activity. So what I don't understand about Alex at this point is why isn't he just being honest about that? He knows there's a history there. He knows he hasn't cleaned it up. I can't believe that he doesn't believe what this whistleblower is saying. That's just, I just, it's, it's insurmountable. The guy has photos of the tattoos. He has evidence. It's not, I believe that those two uh, sheriffs that were killed, I mean, you, you see the video, the guy walks right up to the car and he point blank just, this to me looks like a gang retaliation. It looks like a hit. I, it does not look random to me. I mean, I would like to know what your thoughts are on that too. It was definitely a hit. Okay. It's definitely a hit. Shooting in the head, okay? Yeah. I mean, you can't get more explicit. Like, it was, whoa, yeah. Trying to kill someone. You know, I do private investigations now, and I do civil rights cases. I work, have worked. Right, you were in Ferguson, you've been in Baltimore. We'll talk about yeah. that in a minute, too. Right, but, yeah. but, but mainly here in, in Los Angeles and, and throughout California where I'm licensed, I've done uh, these very complex investigations for, for many attorneys. And so I've had a chance, not just to okay. look at the police side, yeah. but now the other side, you know, where yeah. I'm dealing with the families whose loved ones right. have been killed. I'm with the activists. I'm actually an activist now too. I, yeah. I've, I've joined with them because, you know, they need to have a voice of someone who's been there, who right. knows what's going on. They right. can't tell me that this stuff doesn't go on very disingenuous right, it's, so, it's like saying a, a, a priest is not molesting yeah. so so then why is alex lying about this about the gangs existing why do you think that is you know as police officers and and this just goes for the lowly cop up until the chief you know we have to maintain an image that the police is under control yeah. they cannot come out and say you know what we have dirty ass pigs out there robbing killing murdering that are traumatized that's really what's happening that's here. really what's happening we, yeah. we have traumatized officers out there who are taught to cover their asses, okay, don't talk to the press, you know, keep your mouth shut, and that's it. And so, you know, he's already fighting. He's like a boxer in the ring that is, you know, hanging on the ropes, you know, yeah. with everything that's going on. You got one supervisor here, another one. They're just beating him up. And so just like the chief with Daniel Prude. Yeah. All right, it's, it's pretty clear that he hit it the mayor over there hit it too. I mean, that's everybody yeah. goes into cover-up yeah. mode. Yeah. As as old Daryl Gates said, "Oh, this is an aberration. This doesn't happen." Well, I mean, that's what we're dealing with here, and and I'm not saying that that's what he did specifically because I don't know, but I'm surmising because there's so much damn problems, you know, with them going after his hiring of certain people, his handling. Uh, his his issues with the supervisors, which I can understand, you know, with that. They didn't want him, so why would he want right. them for? You're, and by right? the supervisors, you mean the board of supervisors? The board of supervisors, yeah. right. The, They've actually, one of them asked for his resignation this week. I don't know was, if you saw that. There was a couple that. of them, yes, yeah. that, that asked for that. And and so they know that, that this is happening, but at the same time, Alex, being in this leadership position, he's trying to not be pushed out. You know, to try to maintain as much control as possible right. okay. with all this just blowing up in his face and and the sheriff's department being exposed 
just exactly how bad it is. It's bad. It's bad. So I'm of the belief, and let me run this by you. I'm of the belief at this point that it cannot be salvaged. And I know that might seem like an extremist position for some folks. And let me let me tell you why. I think all of these things, the system itself is so toxic. It's so the gangs, culture, the things you're talking about, the insular code of silence, all of these things are so ingrained. I don't think you can reform them. I think we need to start over. And I, I know that's probably, some people would say an extreme position, but I understand why people are, are saying, uh, you know, abolish the police. What they're saying here is like, this is so screwed up and so messed up. We can't trust our police officers. Yes, we want somebody that investigates serial killers, rapists, these things. No, we don't want these guys running around being criminals, uh, being racist, shooting people for no reason, being violent. This is being like a military. Be, I mean, it's almost as if the LAPD and the Sheriff's Department have become like, like we're being occupied by a military presence in a lot of ways with the way they handle their business. Um, and I know that's something else you talked about because it didn't always used to be this way. We've seen this ante get upped, you know, through the years, right? And they've, the budget now is for the LAPD is now 54% of the city budget. That is absolutely insane. 54%. So they're using all of this money to buy these military type toys. Or to pay lawsuits. Or to pay. <laughs> the city no, of New York. You're right has on a, this. Or to pay lawsuits. The, the, the city of New York has $700 million, almost a billion dollars, set shit. aside each year. $700 million. Okay, set aside. To pay each, lawsuits. To pay lawsuits. This okay. is insanity. Can you, can you imagine that? Uh, yeah. No, I can't imagine it, but I believe it. I believe it's true. I mean, the litigation against the LAPD is 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 pretty large at this point as well. So, um, what are your thoughts on that? Do we do we just blow it up and start over with something, replace it with something that makes more sense, or do you actually believe that there's still some reforms that can be put in place? Well, uh, you know. A lot of people are saying they can't change and they don't want to deal with it, especially those who've lost family members to police yeah, violence. Yeah. Uh, they've been screaming for the longest. I know that if I lost one of my children, I might retaliate and do something foolish too. Uh, I'm not trying to stoke any No, I think you're being frank. No, any, you're being frank. Right. You I, know, mean, I, I would be, I, I don't care who it was. Someone hurt one of my kids. Uh, I, I give a lot of kudos to these family members that, you know, I've known uh, throughout the years who just lost their children, their loved ones, their sons, daughters, and there was no reason for that. Um, and so this is why these two officers did what they did. And again, I'm not for that, okay? I, I was a police officer. I've been shot at, yeah. I've been stabbed, I've been ran over, all these things have happened to me. So I know that I can speak with authority on what this, that's like. you know, yeah. rather than, you know, somebody that says, oh, they should execute this person that did this callous murder or, and that we shouldn't talk about this because we're bringing more violence. We need to talk about it. Yeah. Suppressing this here and, and not talking about the violence that was projected against these two deputies is precisely why these problems go right, on right, and right. continue because we let them fester, just like yeah. the racism. We've known that there's been racism forever, right. but we don't talk about it. We're being forced to talk about it now, right. but... Generally speaking, we no, don't talk about that. It makes me feel uncomfortable, you know. Right, right. No, especially. I mean, here's here's the thing that they could have they could have gone a different route, and they they chose not to. Right. So they used the ideas of, of racism in the department as a cudgel. Right. They knew it existed. Daryl Gates knew it existed mm -hmm. for sure. Right. Uh, and it never improved since then. It's it's just always been there, and it was never dealt with. But they used it as a cudgel at this point. So they could have said, "We got to do something about this." and changed the culture they chose not to. And I would imagine also that, that the racism is from the top to the bottom. I can imagine that the lieutenants, uh, et cetera, are also came up in that same environment, are also seeing things in a very racist way. So uh, what do we replace the police with then? I mean, what is your idea? You work now, let me talk a little bit about what you're doing now. So you're doing activism on the other side. So yes. you're a private detective, you work with families that have suffered from police brutality. So I know you've been in Ferguson, you've been in Baltimore, here in Los Angeles. So you absolutely are, are quite literally on the other side, helping these families out, helping them uh, with their cases against the police department. So which, and you have obviously the skills to do that because you've been on both sides. Right, but so, I've also been there as, as an activist because I wanted to see this yeah. myself. I wanted to see these phenomenons of other 
riots, not just the LA riots that yeah. I was in, which was the mother of all riots, the mother of 92, but yeah. being in Ferguson, <laughs> being chased down in Baltimore by, by a really bad super pig who's now currently doing 18 years in club fed. Okay. And, and so really trying yeah. to understand and grasp and deal with my own racism, my own issues and, and, and my PTSD, which is, is still there. And at the same time, trying to help out the police. Okay. I'm not against the police. I have sisters brother-in-laws right. that, that are coppers that, that I love and adore. But I also want to be able to see one day a police department or sheriff's department yeah. that treats people good. You know, that could be my kid. could be your right. kid or, or anybody else's. And, and I venture to say that, you know, these police officers that are out there murdering, because uh, I know a lot of cops who have also lost police, uh, children yeah. to the police. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and so it all changes this dynamic, you know, that uh, we... As law enforcement officers, we, we paint these people as really bad people. So we have to change that way of thinking. We well, need that's to an interesting point you're making right now. You paint them as really bad people. It's as if you other them and say, well, they're automatically bad. It justifies anything I do to them, even if that's not true. Absolutely, yeah. yeah you, okay. you, I saw people getting choked out for no reason. Go get that asshole right there. Uh, and, and racial profiling. I mean, it's all there going on. I mean... The people haven't been bitching about this for, for no reason. It's It's been happening. It's, yes, it's and, absolutely and, and justified. And it's, it's yeah. fallen on deaf ears what, what needs to change. And traditionally, the police can do no wrong, especially when they're backed by their unions and they're paying the politicians. And, right. And the really unions, I think, are a really bad problem. Let's talk about the unions for a second. We had recently, uh, during the Black Lives Matters uh, protest that we've had here, I found some uh, some of the Twitter feeds for some of the police unions, and one of, one of their attorneys was on Twitter saying shoot them all shoot the protesters shoot them all like just saying that and not thinking for even a second that that was inappropriate or wrong or bad or any of it she obviously felt comfortable enough to say this publicly and she was saying this behind videos of, of uh, protesters um, she got called out on it so she protected her account after that but I got the sh I got the screenshots of this but obviously there's a viewpoint inside the police unions as well where no matter what, the the person that got shot is a criminal. They do, and they do that. They, uh, you know, you see them do that in the media too. They go after the victim and they make the victim automatically the bad guy, no matter what, right? Absolutely. They victimize them in ways that are, oh, you know, this person. And it's, second, it is random stuff. She bounced a check in, you know, twenty ten. Right. That's the second death is the character assassination that that goes on uh, in the aftermath, like. They're justified for shooting someone because they wrote a bad check or because they got into it with their wife and has nothing to do at all. Or justify the murder, yeah. Right, but, but to justify because they have to have a reason for, for taking a life. And it can't possibly be their racism. Right. So what do we do? Well, you know, we need to change the culture. We need to start offering more protection for lamplighters, for truth exposer, whistleblower police officers that are now starting yeah. to come out. So if there's good police officers, you can't hide anymore. You have to treat these people as, as human beings. You're no better than them and you've been brainwashed. Okay. I don't care whether it's on the local level, state or, or, or federal. Okay. Yeah. These are human beings and the public isn't going to take this anymore as we can talk. That's and, right. And so what's frightening here is there's an element here, which, which are the people who've been victimized. And there's another element that says it's okay to continue with this treatment of, of minorities or poor people because they're shit. And, and so we need to change that. We, oh, we really agree, need to talk about at roll call meetings about racism. Yeah. We, we need to have officers that, that are able to get rid of this junk that they have in their minds because they carry it on them all the time. I mean, it's no wonder that they experience domestic violence problems, that they yeah. experience all these relationship problems. They're not yeah. able to stay faithful. They have all these alcoholism issues. I mean, there's a multitude, a plethora mm -hmm. of problems, you know, yeah. that most police officers don't ever think that they'll face. They don't, that's not gonna happen to right. me. But right. in the end, they're a wreck. Yeah. And soon after they retire, many of them, you know, they just die because they're, that, that lifestyle of living on the edge and the adrenaline going through All them, the time, it just yeah. stops. And and that's it, you know, they gave their life. There is no blue family. They will crucify you if you bring or you tarnish the badge because you got caught. Yeah. Okay, they know this is going on, but you got caught. You're the one that got caught doing it. You're yeah. the one that brought disgrace to it's the It's not department. actually the actions that are bringing the disgrace is the fact that you got caught doing the wrong thing. Correct. Wow. Correct. 
Correct. You know, that is, it's interesting to me because uh, about three or four weeks ago, I was covering one of the protests, and I saw one of the police officers do something that was violent, and I, I said, why do you have to be so violent? Why was that necessary? And his response to me was, did I give you a black eye today? I was like, wait, what? As, you know, Jason heard him say, yeah. I mean, I was like, that's your response? I, did I give you a black eye today? Do you not see the problem with your response? <laughs> like, wow. I mean, what do you even say to that, right? Well, they don't know what to, what else to say when you confront them. Are you racist and you're... I mean, asking them a simple question yeah. like that, you know, they, they come I was really, some... I really wanted to know, like, why that could have been handled so much differently. And, and... Right. Well, as we see in other countries, too, uh, like with the Japanese, their protests that they had this past year, mm -hmm. they became very violent, too. And, and the Japanese, no, I'm sorry, it's not the Japanese. Uh, it's the in Hong Kong? Hong Kong, okay. correct. The, yeah. the Hong Kong police. Uh, <laughs> they were known for being very much in control, but they lost it. Okay, with the protesters, and, and they became just as violent, too. So I guess it's a human phenomenon. You can have huh. all this training, but when people start fighting, everything goes out the window. I, I can say that the same thing happened when I was in the riots, L.A. riots. We okay. encountered all kinds of madness. I was standing there in the, the, the swap meet right next to Wilshire Station mm -hmm. because that's where mm -hmm. I was assigned to. The swap meet was maybe 200 feet away and up in flames. And, but just prior to that, uh, I was there trying to catch some looters, and everyone's walking with, or running with, with, with furniture, right, with stereos, right. all kinds of things, I remember. I it was remember madness. The, it yeah. was really bad. I just remember just standing there with my shotgun and watching someone run past me amid the, the smoke and the smoldering that, that was going on. I took my shotgun, pow, I, I whacked him with the stock in the face, and it was just sheer anger, you know, and I took the shotgun without the stock, the wooden stock, and I put it into his mouth, and, and I was like, I just wanted to make him feel the fear. So that's what goes on in the mentality of some of these officers, that they are pushed to the edge. Doesn't make it right, of course, but it's a psychological thing. And it's not just one officer, it's everybody. Everybody it's loses everybody. their mind, you know, yeah. especially when you're in those situations. So. The possibility of a civil war happening and it's just escalating, you know, with yeah. what's going on, yeah, can is there? Okay. It is there, and I guess the real problem here is that they're not addressing the underlying issues. For example, those riots would have never broken out if they hadn't beaten Rodney King, or if the police that did that had been reprimanded or punished in some way. Correct. The, that you know, what's that say? The riots are the voice of the unheard. The, that response was understandable given the circumstances, right? There, that's what led up to it. And I think it, we're seeing the same thing over and over again, a repeated Absolutely, cycle of that. Absolutely, because there's so many killings. What we saw with George Floyd. It's unexcusable, The officer yeah. with his hands in like, his wait, pocket, just very callous. Very callous and casually, like I'm murdering this guy. It's right. Yeah, it's like shocking when you see this stuff and you're like, how is this possible? And how is it this cop isn't being prosecuted for murder? How is this possible? Right, well, the departments are the ones that really failed this officer. He wasn't able to continue because everybody does the same thing. Okay. Yeah, okay, so that's what that's what we need to get pe get people to understand. For every one of these guys that's caught doing something like this, you're basically saying the all of these officers are doing it. They're just not caught yet. Well, I'm not going to say all thing. of them. Not uh, all of them, but, but, but a lot but, of but, them. But there's a lot of them. Yes, yeah. that that will use uh, those type of tactics. They'll use a chokehold. Uh, they'll throw in And they're kicks. told that's perfectly acceptable to do. Well, you know, or what I was taught in, in the academy is when you're in the fight, you have to really use that extra force because okay. otherwise you're going to kick your ass okay. and take away your gun and shove it up your ass. Okay, so okay. that's the reason for, for using that. But, right. I mean, it is exaggerated sometimes. I mean, the policy is double tap to the chest, headshot. You know, so that's an execution wow. right that there. That is an execution, it's, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's deliberate. That's the training uh, that's there. So... You really can't fault the officer. You have to fault the, the training here too. And and I'm not saying that we don't need to use deadly force. There are times like in Las Vegas, okay, or, or right. one of these. Uh, but we're seeing these. You guys are using deadly force against folks that were it's com obviously completely or un mentally ill, uh, right? Or mentally or completely unwarranted. Like right. I know a couple of the uh, issues that we've had in South Central have been against guys. One guy was he was was a mental issue mm -hmm. that police officers should not be being sent in my opinion to, to, to uh, issues of mental health right 
But the other guy uh, was walking down the street holding a knife that they thought, but it turns out it wasn't even, the blade wasn't even out. It was like, it was a, what do you call those where they're box cutters where it wasn't out yet, but it was right. in. But they shot him and killed him. That seems to me completely unnecessary and overwhelming force as well. Like, And you look at the body cam video and you see it and you're like, like, I get that that, that there's a, an, an issue of fear there, but again, they're being trained. Like, they could have used well, a taser. Well, they could well, have well used, there's fear, and then you know there's some that want to be what they call ghetto gunfighters. Ghetto gunfighters. Ghetto gunfighter. Ghetto gunfighter means if you kill someone, yeah, I've killed like about three or four. Oh, you know? shit. And so some of these guys, like these executioners, they love yeah, that name. Yeah, in the sheriff's department. Okay. They, yeah, they pick that name they, for a reason, right? Right, exactly. Uh, you know, I mean, why, why do I have to say the executioners? Okay, I mean, hello. <laughs> okay, we are executioners. We're right? the good guys. And have you seen the tattoo that they have? So yes. the, the tattoo, just for, so the eyes can see it, is it's a skull and crossbones, and there's like a, it's almost like a Nazi style hat, and it says it has the Compton uh, initials on the hat, right? So these, I mean, it's pretty hardcore. When you look at this tattoo, you're like, for what? <laughs> Right, they, you know, they've always been around, just like the gangs, too. I, I mean, Rampart Crash had Rampart, theirs. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was my time period, uh, the, the yeah, famous so uh, the 90s, crash, yeah. right? And, and, you know, it all comes from that time period. Nothing's really changed when you look at these stories, except now we have whistleblowers, truth exposers, yeah. lamplighters that, that are coming out and saying, yes, this is what's happening. It's very difficult to say he's crazy or right, she's lying. Right, right. not um, anymore because we have camera footage. Right, like, we you, have. You cannot, the phone camera has been the great equalizer in so many ways. We're seeing, I think, for the first time live, like this is what's happening on the daily basis. And you're right, they can't deny it. Right, they can't deny it. And, you know, we, we really do need to revamp the system it, it has to be because like i said uh, you cannot continue like this there will be a revolution it's already happening it's right happening now, right now exactly speak, uh, that uh, people yeah. are just pissed and they are going to continue to kill police officers there are people right now planning to hurt law enforcement officers and and then there's law enforcement that's yeah bring it on bring, you know yeah. let, let's, let's let's shoot it war. out let's have a war okay <laughs> and so when you have those type of Factions there where common sense kind of goes out the window. It becomes very volatile kind of like dangerous. what's going on in yeah. the Middle East right now Yeah, okay, you, very you dangerous very dangerous people start getting executed. They get targeted yeah. You know, I mean all these things happen and, yeah. and so we, we really need to change that uh, We need to get women more involved too because women okay. tend to be the equalizers too. They have a more calming effect women uh, can you know, usually be less cool. macho. Less macho, <laughs> except for my mom. <laughs> you know. Wait, have you met me? No I'm kidding. <laughs> right. You know, but but uh, you know, the, the women too. Officers are going through so much, and and I'm in close contact, especially with uh, the women of Canada police officers, who they're going through the same exact crap over there too. Right. You know, same type yeah. of male-dominated, misogynistic, racist crap. So it's not just here in the U.S. No. It's, it's over yeah. there too. It's all over the it's place. It's global. Yeah. It's global. Yes. So let's, I want to end on something positive. So can you tell us one of the good stories that you're working on right now in your activism that would be uh, just making the world a better place? Yes, I, I've been working uh, with a group called The Wounded Blue. The Wounded Blue. The Wounded Blue, okay. yes. And this is a foundation uh, that was started by Randy Sutton and uh, Jason Harney. They're both former Las Vegas police officers. This has been a labor of love for them. And they asked me and one of my good friends, Stuart Guy, who was a uh, victim of the North Hollywood shoot. I don't know if you remember right. that. I do remember that. Oh my God. Yeah, that's right. right. He was one of the officers that was shot. That so was some crazy stuff. That was, that was the one where the where they were trying to leave the bank and they were running, going behind the car, if I remember correctly. Right. And they had like an arse, little arsenal yes. in the car. Yes. Yeah, my my friend that. was hit by a couple of uh, AK-47 wow. rounds. But they, they started this foundation that helps officers deal with PTSD, post-traumatic stress okay. disorder. And, and so we need knowledge of that. You know, yeah. I, I did not know that I was sick, mentally disturbed. I just thought it was crazy, yeah. you know, when, <laughs> when and, and uh, I remember when, you know, all this was happening, and, and let me just plug also yeah. my friend's book, Alan Cates, he wrote a book called Cop Shock, which was the first book ever. Cop Shock? Cop Shock, right. Okay. That book, along with The Wounded Blue, and they're on Twitter, and, and you can just Google them, 
helps out with understanding what exactly is post-traumatic stress disorder. How does it affect an officer's mind? What causes the, the, the PTSD, the suicides, yeah. all these things which an officer needs to know. Right. Because the department isn't going to help them. No. Okay, you lose your Obviously mind. Obviously, they're just covering all You lose your mind, you, you start having yeah. problems. You, you know, if you develop PTSD from, let's say, an incident, you get shot, you might become an abuser. Yeah. Okay, you, you, you might go out there and kill people because, mm -hmm. like me, after I got my ass kicked, I didn't see ball-headed people this long. I was like, oh, there's a gangbanger. He's going to kick my ass. I need to beat the shit out of him mm -hmm. before they do me. And I, I, I did that. Yeah. I actually did yeah. crazy stuff like that and started a riot in the projects. Right, because I was having a bad day. And and then I was after, oh my God, what, what did I just do? What did do I just here? do? Yeah. What did I just do? And, and so you can't take that back. So yeah. the departments, the municipalities, the cities, the governments, they need to really focus on the you know, police officers' mental health. Okay, that is so important. Yeah. And then, you know, lastly too, we need to have protection for the lamplighters. Okay. There has yeah, to okay, be yeah, protection. For the you have to be have a safe space to come forward and, and tell your truth about Absolutely. what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. You you cannot have internal affairs investigators going off and why didn't you come and report this earlier? Yeah. You know, and we're right. gonna bring you up on charges now. And they turn that around mm -hmm. on you quite literally. You know, they'll, they'll Which turn. is not supposed to be what they're doing. They're supposed to be investigating the bad police officers and doing something about right. them. But they're that's, that, that's, it's sort of like the HR department in a corporation, right? Right. <laughs> Right, it, it takes a lot to get a police officer fired, you know, especially when it's, you have the yeah. police unions and it's all impossible. these special laws that were created to insulate them from any accountability. You know, so we have to have those protections. You know, imagine if Serpico had that kind of protection instead of treating him like a leper. That's right. Okay, or, or any of these police officers. I, I was like, Frank Serpico is, is lucky to be alive. Right. I mean... I think right. they didn't. Didn't one of them actually go after, or try to kill him at one point? Am I wrong on that? Uh, trying to remember the story. Well, now. the story was is that uh, he went to go do a drug deal. He was working as a narc, and uh, backup didn't show up. So that's he, what happened. The backup didn't show up, so they left him out there to die, yes. knowing that. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That's that's yes. just. And, and, and there's so yeah. many officers okay. out there. A good police officer can. That's scary. Not usually stay as mm -hmm. a police officer in law enforcement. Uh, people will say, well, "I know good cops." Well. The good cops know who the bad cops are. The yeah. good cops know who's framing. That's right. Planning dope, killing, murdering, racist. Okay, they all know this. So and if they stay silent, then they're part of the problem, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So there has to be these type of special uh, balances, checks and balances, as they call them, to make sure that this doesn't happen. Right. But you cannot have a good old boy system investigating, like like me, for example. I had. One, one use of force and, and uh, the internal affairs investigator. And, and this is a department of 10,000 people knew me. He was one of my training officers. Yeah, now he was a okay. sergeant. Okay. Hey, man, you know, I got you covered on this. That's what he told me. Okay. So it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's it broken. doesn't work. Yeah. It, it didn't work for the Catholic Church. And it's not going to work for the police because the police are not saints. Right. They're not priests. No. Okay. They're the opposite. They're the opposite. <laughs> exactly. So if we're seeing what can happen with yeah. priests, we can see with... You know, police officers, what, what can also happen here. Absolutely. Well, thanks for coming in and talking with okay. us, Alex. I think um, I think this is really eye-opening. I think it's important for people to hear this side of the story, right? It's easy mm -hmm. for us to be out of the protests and, and being very angry about what we're seeing, but I think it helps us to be more informed about what's going on inside a lot of these guys' minds, the, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it, right? Because right. it gives us a more informed uh way to look at making decisions about how we're going to clean up this toxic environment, et cetera. So mm -hmm. thanks for coming in. And I want to wish you luck with the activism you're doing. I think it's awesome that you're out there helping these uh, families from police violence and doing what you're doing. It's really important work. Great. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely.